1: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: As riots, vandalism, and even all out autonomous zones combine with calls to defund the police, we sit down with the nation's top cop, Attorney General William Barr. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. We will get to the attorney general in just one second, but first I want to thank all of you who have listened and watched the show. We've now hit over 10 million views. That is more than I think we thought was going to happen. So thank you so much. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a five-star review and subscribe now. We're in a new location today, not our usual studio. Senator, you have brought a friend. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General, for being here. You know, the news broke just moments ago that you will testify before the House Judiciary Committee next month, so we are honored that you would sit down with us first and very much appreciate it. I want to get right into this. Obviously, there's so much going on, and it occurs to me. We have a man who writes the laws. We have the man who enforces the laws, and we have popular calls for utter lawlessness in the country. How do we restore order? Well, it's going it's to take both state
0: and local government as well as federal government. The federal government is best positioned to address uh, this kind of violence and lawlessness after it occurs because we don't have FBI agents walking the beat. Uh, and in fact, uh, when when the real violence started around May 25th, 6th, and so forth, uh, we started using our joint terrorist task forces around the country. Uh, and uh, there are 35 of them around the country. It involves all state and local in those jurisdictions and all the federal agencies. And it's the system we designed to follow terrorists. And now they are starting to go full-bore cranking out investigations indictments against the people who were involved in this violence uh... so have we've had scores of indictments already for for such things as arson destruction of federal property uh... things like that uh... and uh... we have right now about five hundred investigations underway so it's picking up pace and we are committed to holding accountable the people are engaged in this, but we still have to try to stop it before it happens. And that's where the burden is right now on state and local. And in many places, they're not stepping up to the plate. They're, they're not doing their job.
4: So and I know it's early, but but how much indications are, are you all seeing of coordination and planning rather than spontaneous acts of violence? Right.
0: <clears throat> we, are, we are seeing uh, strong evidence of, of coordination in many of these violent Uh, episodes. Uh, Fundamentally, what you have here is you have demonstrators. Some of them go there with the intent of demonstrating, but you have a group of provocateurs and agitators, sometimes a significant group, that try to convert those into violent activity. And uh, they seem to be very well coordinated when they show up. Uh, a number of them are associated with the movement called Antifa, but they go by various names. Uh, but frequently anarchistic, they want to tear down the country. Uh, the They're different than many uh, traditional groups. Uh, and, and frequently, the signs of coordination and activity are very close to the event itself, so like the morning of or the day before, and things are very fast moving. Uh, but we definitely see signs out on the street of communication, of organization, of pre-planning, pre-positioning of, of things. So it's definitely uh, organized activity.
3: Well, if, if you're calling in the terrorism task force, That means presumably that we're dealing with terrorism here. I know the president came out and said just a couple of days ago that this will not be tolerated on federal land. You cannot destroy federal property. And he's authorizing the government to go and hold people accountable. Uh, What will this mean in terms of a change of policy or an acceleration of a policy that was already in place? Well, it's not, a, it's not
0: a change in policy in the sense that we've always had the obligation as the federal government to protect federal facilities and federal landmarks and, and monuments and so forth. But now, because in some places, the local police are not doing an adequate job, we're going to have to step up the federal effort to do that. Uh, and so there, there are two aspects to it. Obviously, we're going to prosecute, right now, all the videos uh, involved in the attack on the the uh, President Jackson's statute are being carefully reviewed, and, and we will go after people. Uh, so, but, if you attack a monument
4: on federal property, you're going to get prosecuted. That's right. But it's we also, yeah. But we're also going to, and, and and the the criminal statute has has serious jail time. I mean, I think 10, years, ten
0: years. Ten years. Yep. And uh, the other thing is uh, we have to do a better job of trying to stop these groups before they are able to do damage to these uh, monuments and and statues. It's fine to
3: punish them afterward, but I think a lot of us would like the statues to remain up. Right. Well, and we're seeing a lot of local,
4: whether it's mayors or police departments or governors, that may agree with the political agenda of the rioters standing by and allowing them to destroy Tear down monuments they don't like, and you know it started with with Confederate war generals, but now now they're tearing down or defacing Ulysses Grant. They're they're uh, defacing Abraham Lincoln because you know Lincoln was was a known <laughs>
3: Confederate, <laughs> um, fam- famously. They're going after Saint Junipero Serra uh, yeah. and, and Cervantes. And Cervantes. Uh, is, I mean it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it. it, it
0: yeah, it's it's uh, it's anarchy is what it is, and it and and it's uh, you know f- from people who are very ignorant, don't care about history at all. I imagine they looked at U.S. Grant's statute, didn't know who he really was, wasn't sure what side he was on. But of course, old, prob- guy,
4: old guy with a beard, he's got to be bad. He's right. a terrible guy.
0: He was a great Republican president who did more for uh, advancing the right of African Americans in this country probably than any single president. He crushed the Ku Klux Klan. And
4: Came he- down. I mean, cr- crush the Klan. Yep. And and I expect the protesters attacking him have no idea of that and don't care.
0: But guess what, Ted? He used federal troops to do it. <laughs>
4: he brought out the
0: regular army. He brought out the regular army to protect the but, rights wait, of freemen.
4: And, and and he did that before in something called the Civil War. <laughs> there, right. there were kind of a whole
3: lot of federal troops. He played an That's important right. role in that one, too. You, you know, on this point of enforcing the law and going after these, these people who were causing violence, The place that the president announced this policy was, as one might expect, on Twitter. And then Twitter censored the president's tweet. So the president said, we are going to enforce the law against people committing crimes. And Twitter said this violated the policy. I know, Senator, you have been talking about this kind of thing for years at this point. I think it ties into another question people are asking of the DOJ. What are we going to do about abuses at big technology companies?
0: Well, there's sort of a couple of uh, lines being pursued. Uh, uh, You know, we have uh, antitrust investigation of all the major internet platforms, or most of the major internet platforms, and that's very much underway. I expect to be making decisions in the next few weeks about uh, actions on that. Uh, So I think during the summer we'll see some developments. But this issue of censorship is, is very troubling because Our country was based, and the framers, as you know, believed in that the thing that would ultimately keep us free and keep a majority from oppressing a minority is a lot of diversity of voices out there in a robust marketplace. But these behemoths have gotten a vast, you know, strong control over uh, the expression of views and then public forum here in the United States. And they got there, and I've said this is the biggest bait and switch in history. They got there by saying, hey, we're going to be open to all views. Uh, you know, come join us because then you can have your views. So they built up this powerful network, very strong market power based on the based on the the representation that they were sort of open to all as a sort of a bulletin board. But then when they got that market power, now they're censoring views, just like the example you gave, and they're now censoring views, and they're and and so we're we're getting increasing uh, increasingly uh, monolithic viewpoints being presented to the American people rather. than in the kind of uh, robust debate. So one thing we're doing there is uh, we're, we're saying that Rule 230, which is a rule that gave immunity to companies for taking down, uh, taking down uh, things uh, and didn't therefore convert them into a publisher where they'd be responsible for everything that appears on, the, on their uh, site, uh, we want to modify that so that uh, they have to have clear terms of service uh, they have to uh, show that what they took down uh, reasonably, uh, had reasonable grounds for saying it violated their terms of service, and they have to give notice uh, and process to people whose content they take down. That's one of the things that we're proposing.
3: This is perfectly reasonable to me, and yet, Senator, I know when you've brought up Rule 230— people have harangued you for it and said, this is absolutely not the right way to go and just leave Twitter alone and leave Google alone and let them control the flow of information around the internet. Well, look, there's, there's good news on this and that
4: I think there's growing and even bipartisan frustration with big tech that you've got a handful of Silicon Valley billionaires that, that, that are the new colossus and, 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 and they are They behave as if they're untouchable. And let's use the Twitter example from this week. You don't have to go back very far. So the president of the United States sent out a tweet that if violent anarchists try to set up a lawless autonomous zone in Washington, D.C., that law enforcement will stop them. (laughs) Twitter blocked that tweet. Yeah, yeah. And said it was abusive for the president to say, we're not going to let violent anarchists <laughs> take over our capital. And, and this is, you know, I assume, you know, you've got a Silicon Valley billionaire on his yacht saying, no, no, silence, little one. And by the way, if they have the right to do that, yeah. if they can silence the president, if they can silence media outlets, what hope does an ordinary citizen right. have? I mean, look, the president at least has a pretty big megaphone, even if they do silence him. <laughs> True. He doesn't have difficulty being heard. How about the rest of us right. and, 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 and the absolute brazenness of it? Um, another example from this week, Google went after the Federalists, a conservative media outlet, called them up and said, OK, our problem its actually not with your content. They said we're going to demonetize you. Because there's some comments on your comment section that are objectionable. I don't know if
3: they identified the comments. so they're gonna they're gonna take this news organization off of the advertising platform, which the, the advertising is what allows the news organization to exist. If you kick them off, you're bankrupting the news it, it, it is it is doing exactly that it is sucking the
4: oxygen out. And you know, a quick perusal uh, of liberal websites show a bunch of them have comment sites and you can find all sorts of obnoxious and offensive comments on on the liberal websites they're not imposing that on them and here and this is an interesting development actually for the doj investigation one place you find comments is youtube now youtube is a wholly owned subsidiary of google it's an incredibly profitable subsidiary of google i guarantee you you can go right now today on youtube take a look at the comments and you will find racist you will find profane you will find offensive comments all over YouTube. And that's just what they write to us.
3: That's just what they say about us. Imagine all the other
4: videos. And and Google is not imposing those terms on its wholly owned YouTube, but is instead using, and this is where the censorship and free speech issues intersect with antitrust laws because they're a monopoly power imposing differential standards on their competitors than they are on their own wholly owned subsidiary.
0: And, And also just think of the hypocrisy. The point that these big uh, companies are saying is, look, we shouldn't be held responsible for third-party content on our website. So YouTube says, if people say things that are defamatory on our website, we shouldn't be held accountable for that because it it's good to have this kind of forum for people to come in. And yet when someone comes in on their website, they're saying, the rules that we want to apply to us don't apply to you. You're responsible for what's on your comments section.
3: Right. It's hard to have those both at the sure, same time. of course. You know, Senator, you mentioned the autonomous zone before. Mr. Attorney General, I would like to ask you about that, but perhaps I should instead ask the Secretary of State because these zones in Seattle and in Washington, D.C., they've declared themselves fully autonomous, separate from the United States. As a legal matter, how does the DOJ look at such a claim? Well, obviously, they're
0: not separate from the United States. They're, uh, you know, a bunch of... Uh, Uh, agitators who have planted themselves in the middle of Seattle and are bullying uh, the people who live there and the businesses that are there. And the Seattle government is not protecting its people. It's not enforcing. It's not it's not protecting the federal rights of those citizens. Right. Uh,
3: And and the the police do not seem to be uh, enforcing the law there. But of course, this is another question that has come up on the show quite a bit. This matter of police reform, it's talked about from the question of police on the ground. I'd like to talk about it from a higher level, particularly in your role. When people talk about corruption in the DOJ, I am reminded of your predecessor, Loretta Lynch, who sat on a tarmac with Bill Clinton three days before Hillary Clinton was going to speak to the FBI. I am reminded of her predecessor, Eric Holder, who referred to himself as Barack Obama's wingman in 2013 while he was in office. I'm reminded of Loretta Lynch again, who wrote the description that James Comey used of Hillary Clinton's email server. How politicized was the DOJ before you got there?
0: Well, I, I think there were many examples of political decisions, but I think one of the things that's perplexed me about this is that we, we, we had one of the, the largest frauds and injustices in American history conducted Uh, during the 2016 election uh, by the Justice Department and the FBI right in the center of it. And that was turning the law enforcement intelligence agencies of the government against an opponent's political campaign. That, as far as I know, has never happened before. And it's one of the ultimate dangers in a democratic republic like ours. And um, the things that I have been criticized for generally are coming in and trying to get to the bottom of that and hold accountable the people that were involved.
3: I know I know there was just a development on this uh, over the past couple of days, too, in the case of Michael Flynn, Michael Flynn, who was entrapped uh, when he was coming in as the national security advisor. And the DOJ turned over, I believe it was exculpatory, to use the phrase, of Flynn's lawyer. Uh, memos from an anti-Trump o- official named Peter Strzok. Now a judge has told the other judge to drop the case. Where does this all stand? Well,
0: uh, we moved to, to drop the prosecution of General Flynn because uh, we had investigated that investigation and in prosecutorial decision, and we had determined uh, and felt that there was... Strong uh, indications and evidence that uh, the decision to move against Flynn was not bona fide, uh, and that they didn't really have a basis for a counterintelligence investigation. And we just uh, put out a docu- filed a document in court yesterday uh, that hasn't been seen before. Their handwritten notes of the January fifth meeting in the White House uh, between the president, the vice president, uh, James Comey uh, and, and others, and in there, Comey in response to a question from President Obama seems to, I mean he says according to the notes, uh, that the calls between, um, Flynn and Kislyak, the Russian ambassador, uh, appeared legitimate. So, uh, hmm. just a few days later, they became the basis of a counterintelligence investigation. And these were Peter Strzok's notes. Yes. Who was an FBI who was an FBI counterintelligence agent running?
3: So he's uh, admitting it, it it appears legitimate, and then all of a sudden we're being told it isn't legitimate, and right. he's got to be prosecuted.
4: Now for the it. notes also indicate that it was Vice President Joe Biden who suggested the Logan Act could be used to target General Flynn.
0: Well, what the notes show is that <clears throat> uh, the vice President raised the Logan Act in connection. It appears with the the, the calls made by Flynn, the Kisley Act
4: which is a ridiculously unconstitutional statute. uh, I'm I'm no expert, but it certainly seems unconstitutional to me. (laughs) Under which no one has been convicted by the Department of Justice. And it purports to prohibit anyone from conducting foreign policy. I, I promise you, John Kerry today is violating the Logan Act. He's talking to the Iranians or to somebody because John Kerry does that every day, trying to undermine the administration's foreign policy. And you know what? John Kerry as an American citizen has every right to do it. And, and the fact that Biden and Obama were willing, and, and DOJ and, and the intelligence agencies were willing to go along with it to weaponize law enforcement after Donald Trump had been elected to go after the next president, I I think is absolutely scandalous. It, it is an abuse of power at, at a level that I think makes Richard Nixon's abuses in Watergate. Pale by comparison and and, and I got to say, Bill, the job you've done as AG to simply be willing to speak the truth, to bring transparency to what happened has been historic, and you've done it knowing. That the entire world would descend upon you, that you would be politically targeted, that you'd be vilified, that the media would go after you, that the political process would go after you. A- and I got to say, I'm, I'm, you know, there's a popular video on the Internet of the honey badger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, and I got to say, you have been the honey badger.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
4: And. To be clear, and, and this, you know, because everyone gets this wrong, you have not been a Republican attorney general. I don't want a Republican attorney general. You have been an attorney general dedicated to following the law. And in particular, reopening some of these prosecutions, going back and looking at and bringing in U.S. attorneys to say, let's go assess what happened here. How did General Flynn get targeted? What was the basis for it? Uh. I think it is incredibly important, and I have to say I was telling your, your staff right before we started, uh, you know, they were sort of commenting, wow, we're, you know, they're coming after us on every front. And I just said, listen, take that as a compliment. Doing the right thing has a price, and, and the job you have done as attorney general is inspirational, flat out, and, Thank you, and Ted. it's important.
0: <clears throat> Thank you, Ted. That's, that's r- real important to me. You said that, uh, and you know, and one of the stunning things, and I'm sure I'm sure you'll agree, is that the media just went hell bent for leather on pushing this RussiaGate story yep. that Trump was essentially an agent of of Russia, and they were merciless. And up until uh, you know uh, recently, you had former senior jo- government officials sort of talking knowingly about how the president was going to be indicted and so forth and so on. Do you hear any of? Is there anyone standing up now and saying that President Trump is an agent of a foreign power? No. Oops, they got it wrong, and you wouldn't know that yep. because there's been no retraction, there's been no readjustment uh, by the media or or all the the people who've been pushing this story. They're acting. They're you know they're just on to the next uh, full scandal because of their purpose. Uh, seems to be to cripple this administration and drive it from office at any cost.
3: It's just sort of gone down the memory hole. We've completely <laughs> forgotten about it. I, ha- I I I do want to get back in a moment to all of the top important questions of state, but Senator, you've brought up something that I, I think a lot of people are curious about. I certainly am. What am I supposed to call you? Is it is it Mister Attorney General? Is it General Barr? Is it Honey Badger? What is the proper <laughs> term to refer to the Attorney General of the United States? Well.
0: People say attorney general, but it's also, in the United States, we also use uh, general to refer to the attorney general. But that actually is a mistake. I like it, and I think we should still keep this. But it's actually from the Norman French, which was attorney general, which was then carried over to England by the Normans, and they referred to attorney general, something general. General is the adjective. It meant general attorney, the general attorney, like the general counsel. Hmm. And, we we just use the term general, but every other English-speaking country to refer to the attorney general says attorney. So the form of the form of address in in Britain, New Zealand, Australia, and Canada is attorney. The form of address in
3: the United States is general. It's general. So the plural based on mistake. It's based, be, on, a mistake. It's based <laughs> on a mistake. It's a fortunate <laughs> I, one. I, I, I do like it. it sounds yeah. very powerful, and I, I, that would mean that the plural is a attorney's general, a right. you know, honey's badger, but right. it is not, you <laughs> wouldn't put it on Well, the- and I'll <laughs>
4: tell you a, a funny story. So, so the first time I, I met Bill was, was 25 years ago, and, and I was a law clerk for then judge uh, Mike Ludig, and Ludig at the time was 41, was the strongest conservative appellate judge in the country, and was an incredible friend and mentor, but Ludig had been Bill's deputy at the Department of Ju- uh, Justice. And uh, the year I was clerking was Ludig's fifth year on the bench. And so we organized a party, a black tie party, to celebrate five years on the bench. And in addition to former law clerks, we invited people who'd been important in Ludig's life. Uh, and so Scalia was there, Justice Thomas was there, and, and Bill was there. So that was the first time I met, met him. And, and Judge Ludig tells stories. You work about 18 hours a day when you clerk for Judge Ludig. <laughs> But at least six of those hours are just listening to stories. And so you hear lots of stories. But one of the stories I remember hearing is is when – so Bill was the head of the Office of Legal Counsel, truly a storied office of the Department of Justice. Uh, Antonin Scalia was also head of OLC. William Rehnquist was head of OLC. So he continued in a grand tradition and then he got promoted to deputy attorney general and then attorney general. And and Ludig told the story of one day in, in the AG's office there was, I guess, an army helmet in there. I don't know why, but he described Bill putting the army helmet on and going out to his balcony and saying, I'm a general. I'm <laughs> surveying my <laughs> troops.
0: Actually, so is, is that true? Is that well what happened was <laughs> Attorney General Thornburg had to leave town yep. and he made me acting attorney general. Because I was assistant attorney, it made me acting attorney general. And I put the helmet on. and took binoculars, and I went out on the balcony. And Luda comes up. What are you doing? And I said, <laughs> I'm looking for injustice.
3: <laughs> <laughs> now, now you might not need uh, very strong binoculars. Right. All right, all right, I'm so sure that- half
0: the population will, you know, say, Oh, you know, we're, we, we have. We tried to keep a sense of humor in the Department of Justice.
3: So, so I, I
4: will say. So when, when I was Solicitor General of Texas, it followed follows the same same history where when either of us argue in the Supreme Court, the justices will, will refer to you as General Barr. Um, the five and a half years I was SG in Texas, I begged Heidi, just once call me General. Just <laughs> please, just, what, come please, on. honey. Come on, do, do it for me. <laughs> never, never once. I did this It's like, just... just
3: <laughs> you know, that, this, this story too, I mean, it, it occurs to me when you say you were in the office of the Attorney General. This was... A while ago, this was not just a couple of years ago. Thirty, you, it was thirty years. Thirty years ago, you are so he was of- forty-one years old.
4: Wow, Bill mm-hmm. is only the second person in U.S. history to be Attorney General twice. Right, uh, John Crittenden was the first, as uh, more than a century ago. Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested, Bill. How is it different? All right, you're forty-one, a young man. You're AG, and then you come back. The world's changed a lot. How, yeah. how is how is this job different? How is DOJ
0: different? So I would sum it up by saying, things on the outside move much faster, and things on the inside move slower, oh. and that's mm-hmm. a bad combination. Yeah. It's it's more difficult, and we have a much different political environment. So you know, an attorney general last time we didn't really have we had really no internet. Our cell phones were like World War II walkie-talkies and my detail had one and that's my only access. To it. So that's the world we lived in. Mm. Uh, and move uh, the news moved slowly. It was like, oh, the New York Times is working on an article. It's coming out next week. So now it's everything is instantaneous, obviously. So the world moves much faster. Uh, inside the department, I think, is slower because I think the laws are more complicated. People are, have to dot all the, the I's and cross all the T's, and there are more rules have been put into effect that can hold prosecutors in, in jeopardy if they make a mistake. So things move a lot slower in the department. And you don't really have many people on the other side, uh, you know, who are willing to uh, work with you on uh, – even, even when they know – Uh, that the merits are on your side and and they would do good for the American people and help law enforcement. They're no longer willing to work. There are a few, but not many.
3: So this leads to one one last question on this exact point. Before we go, you did the job before. You got all the glory. You've been there, done that. All that could be left for you to do are the headaches, are, are the difficulties. And as you've said, the world has gotten so much, so much faster and more tense. Why come back and do the job again?
0: Because uh, I didn't want to and, and I and I resisted it for a long time and I suggested other people but at the end of the day uh, I saw the department being used as a political weapon in our system uh, and I thought that that it was injurious to the rule of law and injurious to our important institutions in our country and I thought there was a uh, you know that th- this idea of resisting a duly elected president of the United States and using every device to 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 uh, impair his administration was, uh, was disastrous, and I thought uh, that he needed a, an attorney general at that point, and I agreed to do it.
4: Well, and the, the one of the things that I think you have brought to this job is you have an understanding of the legal authority that the Department of Justice has, the obligation to follow the law. One of the latest attacks uh, coming at you is, is the firing of Jeffrey Berman, the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York now, all th- ninety-three U.S. attorneys serve at the pleasure of the president. The president can dismiss any of them, uh, but some voices on Capitol Hill are, are reacting as if it is an astonishing thing uh, to ask the U.S. attorney to step down. So, I am curious, what, what why did why did you fire Jeffrey Berg?
0: Well, it, <clears throat> uh, that particular situation, it wasn't really uh, a move against Jeffrey Berman or be, you know, to get rid of Jeffrey Berman. It was really that the president had not nominated his own attorney general for that position. Uh, Mr. Berman had been appointed by the court under a particular provision of statute.
4: So how does that work? How does a court, app- that, that's unusual.
0: Yeah, so uh, there are certain uh, situations where uh, if, if you're... Uh, there's a vacancy in the office and there's no one who has been yet confirmed by the Senate. You can be approved, put in place by the court until someone is confirmed by the Senate. And sometimes they're put in by the court and then there's no, the administration doesn't even proceed with the nominee and they can stay in for a while. Uh, But the president explicitly has removal authority over all U.S. attorneys. U.S. attorneys are assisting the president uh, enforce the law, seeing that the laws are faithfully executed. So they are agents of the president in that respect constitutionally. And uh, so in this particular case, uh, there was a very attractive uh, candidate uh, uh, a very prominent uh, and distinguished lawyer from New York, uh, from one of the greatest law firms in the world and uh, well-known in New York. And he had just, uh, he was the uh, chairman of the Security Exchange Commission. Mm-hmm. And as you know, securities are really important up in New York. And we thought he would make a great uh, U.S. attorney up there. So, And, we were, and actually, initially, you had you, planned to
4: offer Berman another position in the administration. It,
0: yes, it, we did. We did. But he didn't want to leave that post. But
4: and I got to say, the letter he wrote, I, I thought was extraordinary.
3: He refused to step down. Basically, I, I, it was, the, was a
4: le- and, and I don't want to drag you into this, but it was a level of defiance that the instant you read that letter saying "I'm not going anywhere," it, it sets off all sorts of warning bells of someone who has their own agenda, an axe uh, to grind. Uh, it, it uh, which is why it has become a cause celebre. And so, I don't want to ask yeah. you to comment to that, but I, I, I'll say
3: that. Okay. And, and I'll agree with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mr. Attorney General, I, I am very grateful that you came in to do the job a second time, and I'm Thank very you. grateful that you came down to speak with us, but we have to let you get back to work. Thank you for being here, Senator. I will see you very shortly. I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs Freedom and Security Pack, a political action committee dedicated to supporting
4: conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs Freedom and Security Pack plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation.
2: I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.